feels like 40. Today's high, 54. Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. It's looking like uh, fall again. Yeah, it's uh, it should be nicer than it is out. Uh, oh, it's still walk- not. It, compared to the weekend, Al, it was really, it seems nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I walked down to the mailbox, and it's it's really cold down there. But, of course, I'm still not smart enough to wear socks yet. But one of these first days now, I'll have to break them out. Yeah, I've spent uh, all from Tuesday till uh, whenever the snow stopped here. I was uh, working up in um, northern Minnesota. I should say thanks to everybody at the UCC Church in New Ulm, the Duluth Audubon Society, and the Headwater Center for Lifelong Learning and Park Rapids for allowing me to bloviate to their wonderful <laughs> groups. And uh, If anybody's around the uh, Austin Audubon Society, I'll be speaking at the Hormel Nature Center at 7 o'clock tonight. But I was up there, I was uh, spoke in uh, Park Rapids, and then I was going to speak in Duluth, and there is a uh, a Lewis's woodpecker that was being reported, and I thought as long as I'm up there, you know, I should go see that one. There's been I don't know five to seven of them that have been seen at one time or another in the state of Minnesota, and it was described by Alexander Wilson. It was named after Meriwether Lewis who first saw this bird in 1805 when he was on the Lewis and Clark expedition. And this woodpecker is strange for a woodpecker in that it forages like a flycatcher, so it it grabs flying insects out of the air. And its flight uh, its flight to me looks like a crow, I guess is the way I would describe it. And it's, it has a gray collar, it has a pink belly, and a dark green back. So it's a very colorful woodpecker. It breeds from British Columbia southward to central California and New Mexico and probably comes as far east normally as maybe western South Dakota. So it's not supposed to be in Minnesota. So I I drove, it was a th- 30 miles away. I thought, well, I can <laughs> meander that way. I'll, I'll stop and look. Well, it, this had been uh, Wednesday morning then, and it rained, it sleeted, it snowed, and everything in between. As I watched the suet feeder near Rochert, Minnesota, which is in Beckert County, I'd stopped to get gas in Park Rapids, and I I wanted to know how to pronounce Rochert, and I might not have it right yet. And I asked a young woman there, and I said, how do you pronounce Rochert? And she said, we say Rochester. (laughs) I said, "I, I think. You're talking about the big town with Mayo Clinic? Yes, Rochester, she said. And I thought, well, there's no point pursuing this anymore. So there was another guy there, and uh, I asked him, and he'd never heard of Rochert. So so it's a small, unincorporated place. But I watched this suet feeder, and like I say, it just snow came down. I saw a car slide into the ditch on the ice. They had salt trucks out. But I watched downy woodpeckers come in and sample a suet. Then a red-bellied woodpecker would fly in and out quickly. A, uh, a northern flicker would fly under the part of the feeder and pick something up off the ground. And then a downy woodpecker would come in again. And a juvenile red-headed woodpecker with a brownish head flew to the suet and really chowed down big time. Spent a long time there. And I'm saying, could you move on? i got to see this. Lewis's woodpecker's <laughs> got to come in there. and probably not going to come in while you're there, so if you could just hurry it up. 
the most common birds by far that I saw eating the suet were yellow-rumped warblers. There was a whole flock of them. I bet there were 50 yellow-rumped warblers coming in there and feeding on the suet. But finally, the Lewis's woodpecker flew in. I had great looks at the bird and made me smile. I took a picture of two, but uh, with the hard snow and rain and sleet, they're just miserable photos and not worth keeping around. So you actually observed it. It's real. Oh boy, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I just um, I, I've seen them before, but it's just you know they say you can't really appreciate a bird till you've seen it at least a thousand times. So I I've got a long ways to go before I get a thousand times. So, so there. why do you think they're here again? What 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 do you think you've driven them? I have no clue. So there is no reason, a logical reason. No, no, they just. I don't know. They just get it in their brain. Uh, I'm going to take off and <laughs> see what's out there, and away they go. It's just like, uh, well, it's probably different. Everybody's talking about cougars uh, down here again. And when they, it's usually a young male there that takes off and looks for territory. So sometimes that might be the case here. Sometimes there might be a, uh, oh, there's there's a splice needed in the brain where it just says, you know, I got to keep. They have the Jack Kerouac thing going where they just need to go. <laughs> uh, you were nice enough to send me this uh, thing from the Old Farmer's Almanac that says the winter is looking to have above normal temperatures on average, and November is no exception. And the Old Farmer's Almanac predicts that northern Alaska will see the highest temperature change with an average of 8 degrees above normal. Many regions, including the upper Midwest, are predicted to see a 4 to 6 degree increase in temperature. And only the desert southwest, Pacific southwest, southern Alaska, and eastern parts of Hawaii are predicted to see lower than average temperatures, and that by a range of 1 to 2 degrees. The Old Farmer's Almanac, thats it's America's oldest and most popular almanac, It uses a unique age-old formula that's traditionally 80% accurate. And their mythology, our methodology is, uh, boy, I slipped up there. That was a Freudian (laughs) slip saying mythology there. Sorry about that. And they have a secret formula that was devised by Robert B. Thomas, who founded this almanac in 1792. And he believed that the weather on Earth was influenced by sunspots, which are magnetic storms on the surface of the sun. And he has notes, he made notes about his formula, and they're locked in a black box in the offices of that company in Dublin, New Hampshire. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go with them. Let's say it's going to be above normal temperatures. That sounds good to me. So that's going to help everybody on the fuel bill a little bit. Uh, Bryce Gaudian of Hayward says, hey, I'll see you attach photo, please. What kind of bird is this in our backyard? Stones this evening after crashing into the window. I think it was just stunned and it will recover. Mm. It's beautiful, but I can't find it in my bird book. I'd be grateful to know the name. It's a white-throated sparrow, Bryce, and uh, they're just really beautiful, plaintive whistles, old Sven Peterson, 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 and love to see them. There's a lot of them out there now. They would love millet, a little millet put on the ground, and uh, they're very appreciative of that. Now, some birds uh, obviously eat from the ground and others don't, so you mentioned putting it on the ground. Would they not eat it from a feeder? 
They would. Uh, platform oh. feeders okay. would be what they would feed on. I don't see them on the hanging feeder. I know somebody was saying, well, I have one at the hanging feeder now. But for the most part, they have uh, platform feeders. So they like something where their feet, where they can move around. They're little scratchers, chicken mm-hmm. scratchers. So most of the birds are like chicken scratch like that. They like having a bigger area where they can do that little chicken dance. Um, TJ of Medelia said, Hi, Al. Here's one reason why we never bring in the hummingbird feeder just because it's October. And he sent a photo of hummingbirds at his place on October 8th. Uh, Marlene Breckner said, Hi, Al. Heard you talking about this bird on KMSU. Is this hand yours? Love your show. And it was a video of a red-breasted nuthatch. I have, um, I'm looking at two of them right now in my yard. Just incredible, incredibly beautiful little birds. I just love having them around. Uh, Don Grusing said, Before the rains and snow, we enjoyed two days of very busy clay-colored sparrows in our yard eating crabgrass seeds. It was a good year for crabgrass. Yeah, boy, every year is a good year for boy, crabgrass. Boy, I'd love a flock of those <laughs> earlier in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> he said they were everywhere. The crabgrass was looking at first very much like leaves as they moved about. They were joined in the grass and also in the shrubs and trees by yellow rump warblers and one very dark warbler that I could not identify even though it was only 10 feet away. It reminded me of my childhood when I would watch flocks of house sparrows. We called them English sparrows then. Going everywhere, the crabgrass grew. One year, they were joined by a greenish-yellow parakeet. I always wondered what happened to that escapee. And that's how my yard looks now, Don, with uh, I have so many white-throated uh, sparrows. And they just move through the leaves, and they look like little walking leaves and then sooner or later flying leaves. They just blend right in with that stuff. And they're just foraging for whatever they can find on the ground, and I do put out some uh, seeds for them down there. They like like those small seeds. Uh, Rita Granson said, Parker's Wood in Mason City was full of kinglets, hermit thrushes, robins, and white-throated sparrows, both species of nuthatches and one yellow rump. Matt Mars of Albert Lee said, I took this picture this morning by the railroad bridge off Front Street over the channel. I think it should be called Pelican in the Breeze. So after I took the picture, I felt something against my leg in the grass, and it was a woodchuck that I almost tripped over. Yeah, that would have been bad, being late to work, Matt, by tripping over a woodchuck. Would They're a woodchuck believe... attack you? Because can't they be vicious, or am I thinking of something, or a badger maybe I'm thinking, but how about a woodchuck? Badgers sure could be, and I've never heard, I'm sure somebody's been bitten by a woodchuck grabbing them. Uh, people tell me they make wonderful pets, Oh, and, huh. and I'm sure it scared the woodchuck more than it did Matt, probably. But I, I still picture Matt. Uh, Matt and I have served on committees and boards together. He's a wonderful guy, but I can just imagine him calling in from the clinic to his office <laughs> saying, I'll be a little late for work today, and they say, oh, no, you're feeling poorly? Well, I tripped over a woodchuck, and, uh, you know, they would have to put their hand, they'd have to hit the mute button, and then they're all laughing in the <laughs> office. So, And then he got to explain that to the uh, emergency room nurse there, too. Well, if he was on the ball, he would have had his cell phone out and taking a video of it and send it to, you know, America's <laughs> yeah. Funniest Videos. He could have made some money. I bet Matt would have. And the... the I'm glad he didn't trip over it. The sad part about this, the pelican in the breeze that he referenced, is a pelican that hit the wire and oh. died, and it's oh. hanging from the wire. So it's oh, dear. A, 
And that happens. We see it in that channel. It's a very busy highway for pelicans. And about every year, I see um, not always hanging there, but I'll see where a pelican has sheared off part of its wing feather so it's unable to fly. Uh, Bonnie Rubel of Albert Lee sent me a photo, and it was from October 14th. She said, I have three hummingbirds chasing each other around my feeder. Is mid-October late for them to be here? Yes, it is, Bonnie, but we always, always, always have stragglers somewhere. Will they make it back okay? I mean, even given some of this colder weather, do you think that they're going to be okay? I sure hope so. You know, it gets a, a tougher journey the later it gets here just because of the weather. But if they get some nice weather... I'm guessing these little guys are in torpor somewhere during the night where they just um, go in what it looks like hibernation. They just fall asleep into this deep sleep. Can we go so in I'm, torpor is what I want to know. I want to do that sometime. <laughs> yeah. In, you know, I got a thing on my phone. I, I just discover new stuff on there all the time. Then it'll tell about how much sleep you get, how much good mm-hmm. sleep you get and bad sleep. So I look at it. And it said last night I got seven hours of sleep. And it said that uh, I was awake for one hour and four minutes of that seven hours and one minute of sleep. Shouldn't that be subtracted from how much sleep you get? Shouldn't I have five hours and 59? That doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to have to delve in that a little bit more. But it's pretty cool. It tells you how much deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, and all this stuff. I don't know what I'll do with it, but it's still kind of interesting to know how you do. Because I, I think I'm, a, I'm awake quite a bit because I, I hear noises or, you know, something wakes me up during the night, raccoons. But um, now it says, uh, yeah, I am awake. You, you mentioned raccoons. I was just noticing yesterday as I was driving home for lunch, one of the, the neighbors a couple houses down had a bat removal uh, uh, truck in front of their house. And, and I saw the, the guys up on ladders taking, and they must have been filling little holes and cracks. Now, isn't that unusual for a, a, a newer house? I mean, the, these houses aren't that old. I always think of bats and things getting in older houses. But, I mean, does it matter to them or...? Um, I guess it doesn't matter to them. They just come to older houses because there's so many cracks and gaps mm-hmm. and holes. Um, yeah, you wouldn't think. I think that I see this van, uh, bat removal van. I yes, saw, I it's think a white. Billboard. Is it yeah. is, is it white with like a black bat and black lettering on it? Yeah. Yeah, that I was it. Say, I want to say it's from New Ulm, and I'm probably wrong on that. But I well, I there see is them a, around. there is a guy in New Ulm that that does that. It's animal. It's bat and other uh, critter removal. I think it said something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's this time of year when mice start coming into our houses, especially older houses. The other day I pressed a button and the garage door went up, which still just amazes me. I just say, wow, this is just (laughs) so incredible. You know, I wish my grandpa could have seen something like this. This would have just would have made his day or or killed him. He'd have died of a heart attack from seeing that. (laughs) But there's a we have a lot of trees in the yard, so here comes running from one tree is a mouse, and it runs from this tree across the yard and right into my garage. Oh no! And it's good timing for the mouse, but bad timing for me, because this forces my wife and I to run a a trap line. We got to get out the mouse trap line and put them out. Uh, white-footed and deer mice can get under the hood of a car, and if 
folks, I'm sure some of you have had that happen. Nothing good happens after that. Well, how do you know if they're under there other than when your car or something quits, like they've chewed the wires? So, I mean, is there a way to know? Is there a way to check? Just by looking under there, I guess, every so often. And then also there is a smell because they are, uh, oh, they're prolific droppings. They're just (laughs) everywhere in urine. So you can smell because I remember getting in a friend's car when we were kids (laughs) and we turned on, he turned it on. And then he turned on the heater. We had to let it sit for a while. And all of a sudden, we had this smell, and we just looked at one another like as we were boys, thinking, man, you could, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt you to have a shower maybe once a week or so. And we got out, and here there was a nice mouse nest in there, and they had chewed up some of the wires. So we had to go to Misgins Auto Salvage to get some more uh, parts for those. And uh, Misgins were they're wonderful, still in business, and they just say, "Do you have some wrenches?" And we'd say, "Yeah, well, go take it off and come back here when you're done." So oh. away we go. But it, you know, as temperatures drop and fall colors become admirable, uh, mice search for comfortable places to spend the winter. Like uh, my neighbors going to Florida or Texas, theirs is coming into our house. And this annual migration of mice, because it really is a migration, they move from outside to indoors. And it usually occurs this month in November. And a few years ago, I spoke at a pest control company's annual meeting, and they advised inspecting the exterior of a house and caulking or stuffing steel wool into any holes or cracks bigger than a quarter of an inch. And that is really small. That is they, tiny, Al. I, I was just thinking how, how in the world, but I guess if you're, there's a will, there's a way. If they can get their head through it, they told me, the rest of the body comes without any problem. Their their skull is the biggest thing that they need to get through something. And one fellow there showed me a number two pencil that he had uh, with his advertising on it. And he said, if that could fit into a hole, so could a mouse. But, boy, that just, you know, I didn't want to. <laughs> say anything but that seems unlikely doesn't it I, but i've never been an exterminator so i can't really say for sure i did look up a study where they had a, a maze like thing and they would cut different holes in it and then let the mice go and see what they could get into and he said in that study he found that a hole two-thirds of an inch in size would allow entrance to a good share of the mice and TV's Bob Villa uh, said that a mouse needs a crack the size of a nickel to mm-hmm. get in. But even that is small. Boy, it's just amazing. It's no wonder they can get into everything we have. And no matter what you do, you, you seem to get mice. And, uh, and if you're in an old house and you live out in the country, uh, I think maybe you'd be... Well, I shouldn't say that, though, because, man... Where aren't mice? They're everywhere. And perhaps they are moving. I keep hoping maybe they'll move more and more to the cities and join all you good folks that live in town, because uh, <laughs> like raccoons seem to be kind of moving in that direction just because of food. But for mice that eat seeds and everything, they're they're just set out in the country. And they will come into the house even earlier and they will store food in the house, in oh. the walls, before they move in. Oh, no. So they'll have food stuck in there, so when they move in, then they're set. And uh, 
Oh, you know, I can remember uh, sleeping or trying to sleep in my uh, cold, cold bedroom as a boy. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night because I could hear a mouse chewing on something in the walls. And you know how it is when you're trying to sleep and the sound is like uh, dripping from a faucet. It gets louder and louder. You try not to listen to it, and that's how that gnawing. So I'd run over and pound on the wall, and it quit for about a minute, and then it's back there, and I go pound on it, and then it set my dog off to barking and wake my dad up, and it was, no, those were good times. And, but it's just real hard to get rid of them. Well, I, uh, I remember a time, Al, when I was in my bed. This was when we were back on the farm, of course, and farms attract a lot of mice, even though we had cats. I was in my little bed, and all of a sudden there was something scurrying across my covers, and I brushed my hand across, and it was a mouse. And, boy, did I scream. But also I had a closet that was across the room from where my bed was, and I had done seed art. Well, when you do seed art, you shouldn't be storing uh, it in the top of a closet. No. So I would hear... <laughs> and I had this um this uh, skinny uh, set of drawers next to right next to the bed, and it stored my socks and underwear. So I would pick out a, a ball. You know how you can ball up your socks. I would ball up those socks, and I was in bed. It was dark. I would throw it at the top of the closet, and like you said, it would quit for a little while. I'd try to go back to sleep, and then and then so I'd grab another sock, ball it up, and throw it across the room, and you know finally fall asleep. And then in the morning, of course, my sock drawers were empty, and I'd have to go reload them so I could, you know, be I mean, oh. uh, armed for the next night. Yeah, and we don't think about that, you know. It's same with insects and things that will get into some of these places that we would just never think they'd do that, but because we made seed art. Yes. Or at Bible <laughs> school, we used to make those macaroni Necklaces. things. Where, yeah, or we'd get a little piece of wood and you'd make a... Um, some sort of artwork on there and you'd put it in a drawer because you were kind of embarrassed or at least in my case thinking well if somebody comes <laughs> over and sees i made that so you put it in there well of course insects and mice and everything else say well hot dog there's there's a hot dish, well a cold dish for us to eat right Buffet. there and all of a sudden you got food for them and they end up being gnawed up which was okay with me because then that was reason to dispose of them instead of having them hanging around well i'm not sure why it took me so long to actually clean my closet finally then i looked up at the top i mean i knew that's what must be going on and and i just remember there was little shreds of paper everywhere and little you know broken seed shells and things and i thought wow i should have cleaned my closet a long time ago (laughs) but you know when you're a kid you don't really think about that so Anyhow. I had a guy in um, Park Rapids tell me that years ago he had an old, old car, and the mice had built a nest in the engine compartment under the hood, and they had got in and got his um, a driver's manual, and they chewed up parts of the driver's manual mm-hmm. and had taken that back to build the nest to use for their nest, so... So he said he was. It was all right with the driver's manual because he was a guy who'd never read it anyway. But he said still that's what they use for for the nest in the, under that in, under the hood. So so we should uh, you know they always say you should uh, check under the hood whether they're talking about us going to see a doctor or just looking under our car hood. And I guess this time of year and probably all times, especially if your car is outside, you should check under the hood just every so often to make sure that there are no mouse nests or uh, 
Oh, a cache of uh, chipmunk food, <laughs> or they might be bringing uh, acorns or something in there, a squirrel, and putting them in the engine somewhere. The problem is, as uh, you mentioned before, they do chew things up because they're rodents, and they can, by putting all that stuff in there on a hot engine, can cause that engine, I think, to become even hotter at times. So you might have some other problems because of all those things going on under the hood that we have no idea is going on. Uh, it, it must be odd if you're a mouse in there. I wonder if they all jump out right away when you start it up, or they just say, well, here we go. We're well, going for a ride. Remember when cats used to get under the hood of the car because it was warm, and you'd park it? There were times when we would drive to church and not know about them, and all of a sudden you'd hear, mew, mew, and then you'd brought a kitten to church. Yeah. Or the worst times would be if they actually got in the fan and they got Kirk Chunk. That was oh. horrible. But, I mean, I imagine mice are the same. It's probably they just maybe go for a ride wherever you go. I went down. Uh, I stopped to see my mom, and she gave me something that I was supposed to take to Jim Broberg, who was uh, the lawyer, in Albert Lee. And I said, well, I'll take that down. i got to go there today. I'll take it down. So I drove down to see Jim. And right before I got into the parking area by the law office, I heard this, and I thought, is my is it overheating? I looked at the gauges. Everything was right. And it went, so I got out and opened up the hood, and there was Mom's favorite cat with eyes as big as hubcaps. And it jumped out of the car and took off on the run and went down the street. Well, I had this appointment with the lawyer, so I thought, well, I'd better get there and I'll be able to find the cat. But I never did find the cat. When I brought the papers back to my mother, I had to tell her, I said, Mom, remember your favorite cat? And she said, what do you mean, remember? Of course oh. I remember my And then I said, well, it's somewhere in Albert Lee, near oh, as I can tell now. And then I, you know, I kept my fingers crossed because I'd always hear those stories about the cat came back. It took like a month, but this one never did come back. So I, I, I felt bad, but it, um, I, I believe it went on to greater and better things. Probably just had a great life in town, I hope. I, I hope everybody just enjoys this weather. Fall is so beautiful, and we're going to get some nice nice warm weather, and I've always been told that fall carries more gold in its pocket than all the other seasons combined, and I certainly believe that. I was up by, oh, I can't remember what town I was by, but I looked at the trees, and it was like green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red. They were in that order just all through this woods, and I had to pull off the freeway and drive over there just to look at it because it was so beautiful that the variance in colors it was just it was breathtakingly beautiful and it's i know it's hard because we're all in a hurry we're sailing down those roads i don't know what the minimum speed limit is on i-35 now 80 i suppose and everybody's just going so fast but Boy, if we can just take some time to get off those and maybe just stop somewhere. That's why rest areas are so wonderful. Some of the rest areas actually have beautiful views, and a lot of them have bird feeders. But just to get off and look at all this beauty that uh, nature provides us, it's incredible. And I think seeing all this beauty will probably help us make help help us get through the the winter because there will certainly be some challenges in winter. 
I would hope that everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links, especially as always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravies considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feed. Well, hardly any. Years ago, long before GPS, Google, or Siri were commonplace, I'd spoken in Charleston, West Virginia. A friend from Ohio offered to drive me to Jaeger Airport. I believe the name was Jaeger. And I thought that would be a simple thing for two guys like us. After all, I could find myself in the dark, and he found his car in a crowded parking lot. So we were talented in this area. And to make it even easier, West Virginia, like South Dakota, North Dakota, South Carolina, North Carolina, and East California, had its own helpful state direction. He took a right turn in the wrong place or a wrong turn in the right place. I don't know which, but we did a bit of directionless moseying, thinking we could find our way before we finally decided to stop and ask for direction. That's a low point <laughs> in a man's life. He pulled alongside a pedestrian and asked if the guy knew how to get to the airport. This isn't it, the man told us. Yeah, we knew that. I want to tell my friend, the driver, I told you so. I said this wasn't the airport, but I didn't. We made it to the airport. I hope you all make it to where you need to go, or even better yet, I hope you all make it to where you want to go today. Remember, Heartland, us while we're driving past, uh, thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me and do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company immensely, and thank you, everyone, for listening to KMSU. Great to chat with you as always and uh, I guess until next week you have some happy bird watching and uh, watch out for all the, the, the leaves are going to start to fall on your head. Yes they are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Al. Appreciate it. Yep. Right, bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs>